Welcome to this edition of the Breathe Easy Podcast, brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. I'm your host, Dave Ingram, and I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Matt Traster. Dr. Traster is a pediatric epileptologist, neurologist, and sleep physician at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. So today, uh, I thought we would talk about a recent uh, study that came out looking at sodium oxidase, uh as a treatment for narcolepsy in children. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about kind of the background, what's the rationale for this study? And, and Yeah, so great question. So the rationale is mainly that until the 26th of October 2018, there were you know, no medications approved to treat the symptoms of narcolepsy 1, or what used to be called narcolepsy with cataplexy in children. And so, you know, sodium oxybate's been available in this country for about 15 plus years, roughly since about 2002 in the U.S., but there's never been an indication for children. You know, some would argue that narcolepsy is a disease of childhood, and it's certainly a disease of the first and, you know, early second decade, and about a third of patients even have symptoms before they're about 15 years of age, even earlier if they're obese, and about 5% of kids are symptomatic before the age of 5. And all we've had up until this point uh, are case series and case report type data that suggest efficacy and safety, but this is our first placebo-controlled multi-center study uh, to get us the proper data we need for FDA approval for the medication. Wow, so this is really, uh, sounds like a landmark study. Um, it, it did have an interesting design when I was reading through it. Um, can you kind of uh, tell our listeners what the basic design of the study was? Yeah, I, I agree. It's a, it's a unique study design. I think it you know, intended to predominantly limit placebo exposure, which is important you know, when you're dealing with the pediatric study design. But So it, it's a double-blind, placebo-controlled aspect, but there's a randomized withdrawal component. It, it was also multinational, multi-site format. It was in the U.S., Finland, France, Italy, and the Netherlands. And so it was unique in a couple of ways that you could have – you could either be sodium oxidate or, or Xyrem, if you will, naive, or you could actually be already on the drug at the start of the study. Uh, there was a roughly three to 10 week open label titration interval to kind of achieve the ideal dose. And they defined the ideal dose as stable cataplexy, which is actually their primary outcome measure. And then there was a two week stable dose period for those already on the drug, and then a three week stable dose period for those that were naive. And then there was this randomization period into a two-week double-blind withdrawal where half the group stayed on gamma-hydroxybutyrate and the other half were withdrawn. And then they went through a series of you know, questionnaires and things like that to see what happened when they were withdrawn. And to limit the placebo exposure, there was this early efficacy preliminary independent statistical analysis, which if it showed efficacy then they were going to do the remainder of the enrollees in an open-label arm of the study um, and kind of then an expanded access program for a year thereafter. So that's kind of how that worked. And they did show early efficacy, so they were able to enroll an additional group of people into the open-arm label study. So the eligible participants were somewhere between like 7 and 16, but they don't point out real clearly in the study is, is if that was their target or just what they recruited. I'm not sure why they didn't go down a little bit younger, but that's what they got. Everybody had narcolepsy 1 as per either the older um, ICSD2 or 3 criteria. And everybody either was HLA DQB1 0602 positive or they had a CSF hypocretin less than 110. Remembering normal is usually about you know, over, over 200 or so. And you had to have at least 14 cataplexy attacks in any two-week interval. And then, of course, they had to have significant excessive daytime sleepiness. There were some exclusion criteria, um, such as, you know, had they, had they been on gamma-hydroxybutyrate 
and it didn't work either due to inefficacy or wasn't tolerated. Um, they had, you know, a narcolepsy due to a medical condition, if you will. They had seizures. They had some sort of, you know, significant head trauma with resultant loss of consciousness, or they had a parasomnia in addition to their narcolepsy, or they had significant sleep disorder, breathing, or hyperventilation. And then, of course, we had any mood disturbance or suicidal risk. They didn't uh, allow that. The last thing that I think is interesting is that the stimulants could be continued. Um, so if you were on other weight-promoting agents in addition to Xyram um, or sodium oxabate, then you could continue that. However, you were not allowed to continue any other uh, anti-cataplectic uh, type medications um, or anxiolytic medications. So they've, they've selected a good population. They've got a great uh, design here. Uh, what were their main findings? So the main findings were that <clears throat> about 50% who were still taking stimulants during the stable and the placebo portions of the study, which to me shows you that you kind of no matter what, no matter how great sodium oxabate may be as monotherapy for this, the drug is incompletely effective for most people. I think that's true in clinical experience. I imagine you find the same thing. But the primary finding that they had was really that those who were withdrawn from gamma hydroxybutyrate and given placebo, that they had an increase in their cataplexy attacks versus those who remained on drugs. So they, they kind of, you know, did the statistics and came up with this number of 12.7. There was an increase of 12.7 more attacks in any two-week interval versus an increase of 0.3 for those that were on placebo. So I think that's they, they met their endpoint data. The, they, they had some other kind of secondary endpoints, if you will, like a clinical global impression of change analysis. And so it showed that for cataplexy, it was worse than all of those who received placebo. For narcolepsy overall, it was worse for all of those that, that uh, received placebo. They had some modest changes in the modified upward sleepiness scale score. So, for instance, those that got placebo, their, their score increased by three. Um, anxiety and mood assessments were mostly unremarkable. However, there were two um, with serious uh, um, adverse events. One was acute psychosis in a 13-year-old boy that was deemed severe, and another youngster had suicidal ideation. That one was 17. It was deemed moderate, and both events resolved after uh, uh, stopping the drug. The the main noted side effects or adverse events that I think were you know kind of part of it, which is what I also think is important to take away, are are that you know there was about half thought to be related to gamma hydroxybutyrate, but a majority of people, like 72% reported some um, adverse event. Most were, I think, anticipated for anyone that's had any experience with the drug, things like enuresis, some nausea, yeah. vomiting, headache, weight loss, nasal pharyngitis, a little bit of dizziness, but, and most were mild to moderate. One really interesting thing about uh, this study design is it may tell us something about, you know, is there rebound cataplexy if you abruptly discontinue uh, sodium oxabate? Uh, was there any evidence for that, or was it a gradual reemergence of cataplexy? So it, it, it did get worse over time. So the so that that was how they kind of described it in the article was that the cataplexy did get worse after time. I don't find I find much worse rebound cataplexy when you stop like venlafaxine or an old tricyclic um, inadvertently, like they run out of their prescription than I do with gamma hydroxybutyrate. Um, but yes, they, they did show that there is some rebound, but it's, I think it's gradual over the course of a couple of weeks as opposed to being into, you know, going into status cataplecticus as a, as a result of not, to, not taking a dose. So these are, uh, I think, really valuable data because as you pointed out, these are, this is the first randomized controlled trial in kids. And um, but that said, are there any other limitations do you think uh, with this study? Well, I think I think the main the main 
weakness really is the relatively small end. I mean, it's it's just not a huge study. Obviously, it's not easy to find these kids. There's not a bunch of them running around, but you know, are going to meet the inclusion and exclusion criteria. But that to me, that's probably the the biggest problem with it. The the study doesn't you know obviously address some of the main issues with it, which are you know safety in teenagers with alcohol and use, with you know, concomitant alcohol use, um, or the the problems with the twice nightly dosing. Like it, it, obviously, it can't address those things. It's, they were just looking for efficacy. But that's the main issue. There's more issues with the drug, I think, than there are with the study. And does this study change how you manage patients or think about how you treat narcolepsy? Uh, does it impact your practice at all, or does it kind of validate what you're already doing? Well, I think I think it validates, for the most part, what we're doing. I do think it'll save me some time and not having to do a prior authorization <laughs> peer-to-peer, you know, which I think I find myself doing. Um, and I, I do think it does give you some dosing guidelines that we've never really had before as to kind of how to use this in kids. I think we've all just been kind of, you know, guessing what the right dose is for kids. But they, you know, they came up with a dosing algorithm, you know, for less than 30 kilos, between 30 and 45 kilos, and above 45 kilos. The above 45 kilos is just like what you would do for an adult. But um, the rest is a little bit different. And, and so it's nice to have that piece of information, particularly for providers that maybe don't have as much experience using this or as much um, I guess the initial self-confidence in starting this medication, because it can be a little daunting if you've never dealt with it before. Any, anything else that you would add about this trial or just uh, pearls about narcolepsy for our listeners? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is just, you know, I think narcolepsy remains somewhat unrecognized. I think there's a fair amount of people that don't um, recognize some of the features. I think, I think that sleepiness can kind of be blown off as, you know, just they fell back into their napping pattern or something, especially in the littler kids. And I, I think that cataplexy manifests a little bit differently in kids than it does in adults. And I think it can sometimes look almost more like a movement disorder or sometimes like you know, maybe even dystonia or a change in the way they walk. Or sometimes it even looks like it's almost tick-like. And, and, you know, there's a thing called cataplectic facies, which I don't think everybody always thinks about, where um, it's almost like they have this, you know, muscle weakness, if you will, that's constant. Like if you've ever seen a, a child with uh, myotonic dystrophy, their mouth is like almost tented and they're, they really can never close their mouth. It's always sort of slack-jawed, if you will. And you'll see that. You'll even see ptosis sometimes in, in these kids. And um, occasionally they'll gain weight around the time they get the symptoms. And a lot, a lot of times it's just mistaken for, oh, they're lazy, they're just eating more, they're doing whatever. And, and so I think the biggest thing is just that when you when you hear about a kid that's certainly a kid that's older than six or seven who's napping again, that's not normal ever. And I think, you know, that, that really warrants a more significant evaluation or at least a second look at what's going on. And one last question before we let you go. Uh, that is, you know, this is a medication, obviously, that's taken at night. The other medication that people have talked about, and I think there was actually just a recent publication about, was baclofen. Uh, and is that an alternative uh, for patients who can't tolerate the side effects of sodium oxalate at night? Is that an alternative treatment at night uh, for individuals with narcolepsy? And I think there was a small case series where uh, it was somewhat effective, but... Uh, do you have any thoughts about that or experience with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the case, so I use since I'm a neurologist, I use baclofen all the time. You know, for kids that have you know spasticity issues, the. Uh, the, the, the case series was from 2009 in pediatric neurology, and um, it was of course from um, Dr. Uh, Gilliman and 
and associates, and it was 26 teenagers or so is my recollection, and they gave them baclofen and, and gamma, gamma hydroxybutyrate. And it increased, you know, the total sleep time. It increased their actual amount of slow-wave sleep. The difference was, though, that baclofen had no impact on excessive daytime sleepiness. Now, there was a newer two-case series um, that was published in one of the Nature journals. Like, I can't remember which one it was. Maybe Nature and Science of Sleep. But it was uh, – um, it, it showed that baclofen actually had a higher affinity for GABA-B receptors than gamma-hydroxybutyrate did. And they thought that maybe it had potentially some case of, like, resolution of the patient's cataplexy. So that's there. Um, there's also a, a, a journal article about, like, a mice narcolepsy model that shows that baclofen and gamma-hydroxybutyrate reduce, reduce both, both reduce cataplexy. So there, there's data for it. I've just not found it to be effective. I think the mechanism is something beyond GABA-B um, action. I think there's maybe more to the story than, than that, but, but GABA-B antagonism is maybe, maybe part of it, but it's just not the whole story. I'd, I'd love to know more why this drug works, but I still haven't figured that out. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, uh, every time I, I hear you talk, I learn something new. Uh, we really appreciate your expertise. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased to, to have been invited. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.